hope you were paying attention to the words of those songs. Um, Worthy of the Lamb, every praise is to our God. Come just as you are. Um, the invitation of Scripture today is, is going to be exactly along those lines. We've been doing a little series called Run to Grace. I taught this through at camp and uh, actually turned everything around on my summer and taught camp lesson first and then came to teach you the same thing. So our students have heard some of this. I actually had several students say, we don't take notes anymore because we already got those notes in our old camp book. <laughs> so, But the, the concept of run to grace comes out of a real simple problem. We studied the life of Jonah, and uh, we've seen Jonah do exactly opposite of what God calls him to do. Um, and so there's, the nature of man is to do that. You're going to see that crystal clear this morning. Um, I was telling uh, some of the students at camp, um, some of my favorite things to watch in nature are the stupid animals. Um, my favorite are the squirrels. They're very small, um, very small brain, apparently. And uh, when a squirrel gets out in the road, it's just the craziest thing in the world to watch. I don't know if they do this in your neighborhood, um, but they do it all along here in, in our, my neighborhood. Um, but when the, when the squirrel runs across the road, you know, he's usually trying to go to a tree. I mean, you just see the tree. You see the squirrel, you see him leave the yard, and he's going to just go right across the tree. They do this all the time on smoke ride. They're cutting across it, and they just, you know, here they go, boogity, 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 across the road. Then they see the car. Now, they got plenty of time, plenty of time to go on up into the grass and up the tree, but no, 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 no. Once we see the car, we have to stop, and we skid to a stop, and we freeze, and we stare at the car. We're about this big, and we're staring at, you know, an F-150, like, I don't know what you're thinking, but boogity, boogity, boogity was a good plan because you could have went all the way on across and you'd have made it plenty of time. But now I've got to make a decision where I'm going to break or what I'm going to do. And as I start either slowing down or trying to swerve or something, you know, I don't know if, you, if your squirrels do this, but ours are terrible. They, you know, now they change the direction. Like, I'm going to go back. They're like, well, I was going up, now I'm going over here. I'm going to go back this way. And they go back and forth and back and forth. And eventually you're like, ugh. You know, when you go past, you're like, did I run over it? You know, you look at the bag and here's a squirrel up in the tree, you know, laughing at you, going, hey, hey, and going, what's wrong with you people? So, but it's funny to me because I really think when God watches us from heaven, I think he's like, man, their brains are about the size of squirrel brains someday. Um, they, they, I, there's a challenge and a trial that comes into our life and we go, this is the way we need to go and we start running and it's the wrong way. And no matter what happens, we end up going the wrong way again. There's tons of scripture to support that. And uh, we've been picking on Jonah for several weeks now. And the life of Jonah is a perfect example of a guy that even when he finally gets it right, doesn't get his heart and his attitude right. Remember in chapter 4, even after Jonah had obeyed God, his heart and his attitude were still resenting God's love for lost people. And the biggest thing that God does is love lost people. And you'd think Jonah, prophet of God, you'd think Christians would get on that page. You know, you'd think all Christians would go, hey, when lost people get saved, you know, when God does a work among rough, lost people, that's a great thing. But a lot of times we get pouty and get our feelings hurt and we, we see other you know, things happen and we, we don't take that well. That's exactly where we struggle. And so it's a big challenge to, to figure that out. I want you to look in uh, Genesis chapter 3 with me to start with told this story hundreds of times in our pulpit just because it's so contrary to, or so uh, important to the 
study of who you are. Genesis 3 is Adam, our great, 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 great plus grandfather. And uh, Adam is where you get your problems from. He's the guy that started this whole run the wrong way deal. Genesis chapter 3 is a beautiful example of it. It's when he sinned in the garden. And you know the story, so we're going to keep it kind of tight here this morning. But it says, chapter 3, verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye, uh, after Satan had deceived Eve, and she was tricked, she had to be talked into it by a very, it actually says one of the most deceitful of all creatures, convinces Eve to eat of the fruit. So she's tricked into it, and it was desirable for wisdom. She took and ate it. Then she gave it to her husband, who's an idiot, by the way, and who was with her, and he ate it. Doesn't say he debated it. Doesn't say he said, hey, where'd you get that? Hey, aren't we not supposed to? That's, we're not supposed to eat that at all. No, that's not what he does. He just completely consumes this fruit. And now he's in trouble because it was sin against God. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So, here's what they did. They sewed fig leaves together, original mossy oak, uh, and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and the wife, man and his wife, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And here's the crazy part. And they hid themselves from him. A, it's impossible. B, where's the only person you're going to get help from in the garden? The only other person there. Be God, creator of all. He's the only one that's ever going to help you. And what are you doing? You're hiding in a bush, dressed like a bush. Hiding in a bush from the God that made the bush and the garden and the earth you're on, the planet, the solar system, the stars, the universe is created by the words of this God you're hiding from. How good do you think you are at hiding, really? Now, I say that because we look at Adam like, golly, man, you really did have squirrel brain, didn't you? When they created you, God just didn't fill your brain up at all. But here's what you learn from this. Sin... Because he was really smart before that. You know that God let him name all the animals. He classified and named all the animals. And you know that God's responsibility for Adam was, hey, why don't you take care of this garden that runs from this river to this river to this river to this river to this river? Have you ever looked on a map at how big that river, how big that area was? I want you to cultivate that garden. Just Adam, right? No John Deere tractors, none of that. Just, just Adam. I want you to cultivate this garden. You think he, I really believe Adam was literally what we would classify as superhuman. Okay, he had to be. For God to go, this is your garden, buddy. Good luck with it. You can handle it. It's all for you. And it's ginormous. And I want you to classify all the animals. While you're at, in, the, in the evenings, I want you to make some notes for me. So let's get these animals named like you want to name. That'd be good. Okay, so he's got intelligence. He's doing great till he sins. And after he sins, he's wearing fig leaves, sitting in a tree, a bush, hiding from the God who created the fig leaves and the bush and him. Sin makes us stupid, not just stupid. That's one of my favorite lines from uh, a movie called The Kid. Um, I love that movie, The Kid, uh, with um, Bruce Willis. I never, uh, Bruce Willis, and uh, he tells the, the man that's running the baseball park, you're not, you're not, uh, uh, he, the man says he's something, he goes, no, you're a stupid man. He writes on a piece of paper with a bunch of O's, you're a stupid man. That, that's what sin makes every one of us, okay? And now here's how I'm going to prove that to you. Real simple, if you don't already know it, most of you do. Um, but I'm just going to make it crystal clear. <laughs> most of the time when you sin, 
You think it's secret, don't you? You think you got away with it. It's secret sins. We have secret sins. You know what that is? Stupid. There's no such thing. There can't be such a thing as a secret sin with God, the Creator, watching us. Just like Adam. Adam's like, let's hide in the bush. Maybe he won't know. Hey, he knows. He's actually looking for you now. When we sin, we are literally, literally breaking the heart of God. The Bible says it grieves the Holy Spirit when we sin. The minute you sin, He's not unaware of it. He's extremely aware of your sin. Right? So it's just really foolish for us to think we can get away with it. But the nature of man, the nature of man is to believe that we're helping ourselves somehow when we're actually running away from God, we're helping ourselves. By avoiding God, by not taking my trials and my trouble, my, my trials and my troubles to Him, by not taking my weaknesses to Him, by not taking my failures to God, and just being open about it, I'm, I'm going to be better. I got this. I got this. That's what it's saying. Look, I got this, God. I, I can work this out. I'm, I don't want to trouble you anymore. You've been a good God. I don't want to trouble you anymore. Well, that's really stupid, okay? Because the answer for our help is found in God. He's the one that created it all. And that's why God literally searches out Adam, by the way. So the nature of man is to run away from God, who's the source of all grace and help and wisdom. All grace and help and wisdom. Jeremiah 17, 9, classic life verse for, most, for many of us. Man's heart, I like to just put my name in there because it sounds the same. Stan's heart is deceitful. Listen to what God says about your heart. It's deceitful above all things. That's a whole lot of things, by the way. There's a lot of deceitful things in this world, aren't there? I mean, wouldn't you think Satan would get in the list? You know, Stan's heart is deceitful above everything except Satan. Your heart's more deceitful than the enemy itself. My heart is deceitful. It fools us. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The, the Hebrew wording for deceitful above all things means crooked. It's a very crook. It has crooked paths that you can't possibly know. Um, when I was up in the mountains of Romania all those years in those summer camps that we would do, the sheep herders and shepherdesses had trails for the sheep to go up in, up, up the mountains. And they'd go up through these beautiful evergreens at the bottom and then up to these little plateaus and through there. And they just winding, winding, winding. But, but as, they, as these trails wind up in there, they, they have tons of, like, three, they split into three trails. And then it'll go along, and it'll split into two, and then it'll go back to three, and then it'll go back to one, and then it'll go three. And when you walk them, it's fine to go this way. But when you're coming back, you're like, which way did we did we go? Were we was it this evergreen or that evergreen? And I mean it's very confusing. I got lost up there many, many times through the summertime, and I just kind of start trying to listen for camp. If I can hear camp, I'll just go the general direction. And I think many times I went up one trail and came down a different trail, came out in a different place. But your heart has these pathways in it that are deceitful to you. You don't even know how foolishly, dangerously, sinfully bad. You can be. We need proof of that. Study the life of David. King David, man after God's own heart. Okay? You'd never expect a guy like him to murder someone. You'd never expect him to have an affair and murder someone intentionally, but he did. He was a sinful, sinful person. Everyone has that inside of us, and we have to be very, very careful about all that. So I'm reminding you that our nature 
the sinful and wicked. And the Bible says you can't even know your own heart. Who can know it? It goes on in the next verse, Jeremiah 17, to say God does. God has your heart. If you will surrender your heart to Him. Now listen, as a Christian, we have to surrender our heart to Him. Let Him do the work in it. He'll make all things new. The Bible says He'll renew our heart. And uh, once He does that, now we have the opportunity. Now we have the opportunity to live a life that really follows His plan. We begin to actually think and behave more like Him if our heart is fully surrendered. Um, so I want you to, to look back and or just think about the video from two weeks ago, or last week I showed it again, the backwards video deal, the backwards bicycle deal, backwards video, the backwards bicycle deal. Okay, all of us think backwards naturally. So what we have to do, as the guy did on the bicycle, we have to train ourselves. You know what church is? It's training you to go, hey, don't go this way, go this way. Don't think like this, think like this. And it's literally training. The more time you spend in the Word of God, your daily devotions that you have when you open the Scriptures and read the Scriptures, you know what, you know what it helps you do? Think like God. Think differently than you normally think. To think in terms of love, not hate, and compassion, and serving, not, not sitting or soaking or souring, but serving others, of giving yourself to somebody rather than just being a receiver of blessing. The, the time you spend in the Word is meant to to literally reverse your thinking. The time you spend in Sunday school and Bible study, the time you spend with your small groups, that's the whole point of getting with some other Christians to go, hey, I don't want to ride the back the bicycle wrong. I don't want to be backwards in my bicycle riding. I want to ride just like Jesus. I want to live my life just like Jesus asked me to. So there's a, a good passage in um, Luke chapter 18 that I want to show you this video clip. I showed it a few months ago. And that just bears repeating. It's so good. Um, I call this passage the idiot and the intelligent man, uh, or the humble man. And uh, here's a part where we struggle, even as Americans, we really struggle with this. So, truth is, it's the humble that God honors. And our culture turns that around. People that are, you know, flashy and showy and, you know, have accomplished a lot, we sort of elevate them, but God says, no, no, it's the humble, and I call that passage the idiot, who's the Pharisee, he's got all the scriptures memorized, the Pharisees learn big blocks of scripture, and he stands in the temple looking down on the people that God loves, rather than finding a way to minister to them in that temple, and blessing them, he becomes a judge of them, so the, tr the truth is, God exalts those who know their sins and their worth before Him. If you know your sins and your worth before God, then God can exalt you. If you think you're worth something uh, before God, you're in trouble. God's the one that makes us worth, that makes us worthy and gives us our worth. Sometimes we judge others as less than us and we exalt ourselves, and that makes us truly especially as Christians, it makes us look just like that Pharisee standing in that temple. You say, well, I'd never do something like that. I'm telling you, we can stand in lines at Walmart and at the gas station, we can judge people by their clothing or by, you know, by their, their jewelry, by their behavior, by their attitude, by their music in their vehicle. We can judge them condemningly. It's exactly what the Pharisee does. It's so dangerous. We have to be very careful 
we need to be very careful to let ourselves remember no matter what a person's dressed like, no matter what they talk like, no matter what their music is like, they are lost people searching for God. They're hunting for God. And they literally need to find God. And if, if they aren't lost, then they just need, you're, they're your brother and sister in Christ. And we just need to befriend them. We don't have, we don't have to condemn and judge them. Just like uh, Mary says at the end, everybody deserves a second chance. That's what God wants us to give them is a chance, a chance to grow and be there. So um, stop judging and love others. That's really the message of the, of the passage in Luke 18. I just want to read you the verse that's quoted in that story one more time. Uh, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. Luke 18, verse 12, 13. Um, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, um, that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. God is a God of all grace and forgiveness. He is the God of all grace and forgiveness. And because of that, he makes available to us grace and forgiveness. It's available to everybody. Everybody you know, the worst person you can think of in your mind, the worst sinner you can think of, um, he literally makes his grace available to them. Hebrews chapter 4. I want you to turn there with me because I'd really like you to mark this in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, you can mark in. If you have an electronic Bible, you can underline or highlight this verse. It's the centerpiece of the entire message series I've been trying to get to you. And I just wanted to build up to it to get to to it today. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The picture in this verse, by the way, is of Jesus being enthroned and you going to him for help. I don't know if you can imagine in your head walking into a throne room where Jesus is. It's going to be a pretty impressive place. And there's going to be tons of adoration and praise and worship for him in that place. But can you imagine just walking confidently, confidently into that room? The truth is, the Bible says if we've trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can come confidently into the throne of grace, throne room of grace and ask for mercy and help and we'll find grace in our time of need. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Because you don't have to do this by yourself. Because you're not even supposed to do it by yourself. And the worst thing you can do is run and hide and pretend like you're not okay. Or pretend like you're okay while you're hiding. You're not okay. You need help. You need mercy and you need grace. Let me just get a, a little show of hands. How many of you believe sometime this coming week you're going to need mercy, grace, or help? Yeah. Well, guess where you're going to find that? Bush in the garden? Nope. You know, hiding in your little room in the dark? Staying up late night doing something to distract your mind from it? 
some of your sins you should confess, you know, playing video games, playing, talking on Facebook, whatever it is you do to distract yourself. Is that where you're going to find help? Mm -mm. You know where you're going to find it? At the throne of grace. And it means you've got to turn to God. You've got to turn to God. Now here's a question for you. How do you believe that the Word of God, we're reading the Word of God. Actually, let's read this verse together first. Hebrews 4.16. Let's just read it off the screen together. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Wow, y'all did that terribly. Let's try it one more time with some, we like the Word of God. Thank you, Pastor, for giving us a chance to read it out loud. Let's read a little stronger. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Right? Now, how many of you believe the Word of God? You just read it out loud. How many of you believe it's 100% accurate? 100% accurate. Can't be wrong. Can't be wrong. All right? So we believe it's 100%. So, there, so if everything on that verse is true... Our help, our grace, and our mercy is found in His presence. Even when we've sinned, it's found in His presence. That's when we need the most help, by the way, when we've sinned. Do you know that? You need the most help when you've sinned. And your nature is to sin. That's when you need the very most help from Him. And so here it is, a promise that we can run right to Him. But something seems wrong about that because it's like there's too much free access there's too much free access to this deal, right? I mean, that, that's just too easy. That's really too easy. I've had several people tell me, you know, your whole story, Christian's testimony and all that, and how you can just trust Christ as your Savior and you're free to go to heaven after that, that's just too easy. Yep. That's why they call it grace. <laughs> it is that simple to trust Him and then surrender yourself to Him and say, you are my Lord and my Savior you died to pay for my sins. Now I get to go to heaven and on earth I get to serve you all the days of my life. That is awesome, by the way. It's the promise that's there. But you think, well, there's got to be some verses that, that there's got to be something ahead of that that sort of makes a condition or qualifier to this. You can't just bust into the throne room of God when you need His help. You can't. There's got to be some conditions, right? Well, let's just read the verses ahead of it to make sure. Hebrews 4.14 Therefore, since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus Christ, who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. All right, so here's one of the conditions. You have to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to trust Him to be the priest that paid for your sins. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way just like we are, but he is without sin. So here's the other qualifier. You just have to believe Jesus doesn't have any sin in his life. But he had every temptation and trial you went through. He's carried all your sins for you. You believe that? Then you run boldly to the guy who was tempted like you but didn't sin. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Let's go to the guy who has all the answers. He was tempted just like you, but he never sinned. And the whole passage is saying, run boldly to the throne of grace. One of the uh, newer translations actually uses the word instead of confidence. Uh, let us then approach the throne with confidence. It says, let us run to the throne of grace. It means just run right in there. Go, help, please help. 
know you can help me with this. I want you to just write these three things down as we close. Grace is not judgment. Okay, Grace doesn't have judgment in it. The whole point of grace is to cover your sins. It covers all our sins. Past, present, and future sins are covered by the grace of God. Help doesn't ever mean He's going to harm you. It says He's going to help you. It says He's going to help you. Now, by the way, when a doctor helps you sometimes, it doesn't always feel good, does it? When doctors help you, there is discomfort with helping doctors. It's my reason why I avoid doctors at all costs <laughs> when I can. You know, but when they have to set a broken bone, when they have to, to sterilize an area, when they have to disinfect something, when they have to open you up and get infection out, there's some discomfort with that. But it is help. It is help, not harm. And that's what God has to do for us sometimes. He has to go, hey, you ran to me with this sin in your life. I need to cut that open and get that out of there. We need to deal with the, the sin, the disease. Isaiah calls it a disease. We need to deal with this disease that's in you. Let me help you get that out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to two or three friends and confess it as sin so that we can cleanse it. And they can help you. They can, they can hold you accountable and make, help you make promises and Bible verses to get through this, right? That's how you get rid of it. And God's going to say sometimes, hey, I need you to open the door a little wider and get some folks in here to help you with this. And when you do that, it's, just, it's uncomfortable, but it is help, not harm. So we need to run to God and not away from Him. And I'm telling you, our nature, our nature, every one of us, from the youngest one in this room, and that'd be Salem, from the youngest one in this room to the oldest one in this room, our nature is to run the wrong way. And this whole series I've been wanting you to hear the importance of retraining yourselves and staying well-trained that we run to God's grace. We run straight to that throne where He can provide help for us. Does that make sense to you? So we're going to sing a, a, a great old hymn for you in just a minute in a different tune. You've not heard it in this tune before. But it's designed to remind you of the cross. Um, it's my favorite hymn when I survey. And it's to an old Scottish tune um, that's called, uh, the original name of the tune is called Wally Wally, which means whale whale in Scottish apparently. Um, but it's a beautiful way for us to spend time preparing our hearts for this communion service. And communion is when you are, in, in, a, in a sense, you're saying, God, I want to run to the table where your body was broken and your blood was shed for me. I want to run to that table and I want to embrace that moment. It's a remembrance of that moment. And I want you to, I want to hold on to that moment so that I know for sure that your body was broken for me and your blood was shed for me. And to do that, you have to, you literally have to remember the cross. I tell you all the time, one of the greatest things you can do for your spiritual life is to dwell on the cross all the time. I had a, I've had three or four really rough weeks, um, sort of bad news upon bad news upon bad news. I had a very good friend take his life just last week, uh, last Friday, and uh, just leveled me. I had no idea that was coming. I had just spent a few days with him. He took his life, and, and uh, I, when I get discouraged, my nature is to run away from all that I do, which is ministry in God. And God has to pull me out of the hiding hole and go, hey, run to me. And so what I had to do, literally, what I literally had to do is I took my cross notebook. I 
keep a notebook, two or three in my office, that have all kinds of stories and songs about the cross. And I just had to start reading my cross notebook and reminding myself he died on the cross for me. He suffered great pains for me so that I could be free of sin and I can run to him now. I can run to him for help because I'm hurting, I'm sad, I'm confused. I don't like sin beating on my friends anymore. I don't like my family and my friends getting hurt like that. I don't like people that were in great darkness not calling me. You know, my question was, he texted me at 10.30, and they think he killed himself about an hour and a half later. And I'm like, why didn't you call? You know, if you were in a dark, he'd done it before. And just really, really, I struggled so hard. But the cross reminded me. My friend, by the way, is with the Lord Jesus. He's with you. He was a strong uh, believer for years, and I've known him for years. And I'm just going to be candid with you for a minute. I'm a little bit silly about all that, but um, it hurt my feelings real bad that he took his life. Single guy, took his life. Uh, he's about two years older than me. And, uh, and I just asked Jesus to go over and slap him in heaven. I did. And I, see, there's no pain in heaven, so you can make fun of that, but there's no pain, so it wouldn't hurt. I just wanted Jesus to wake him up and go, hey, Ben said, you know, what were you thinking? You know, it just hurt so bad. But the cross helped me remember he's secure. My friend Mark is secure, and he's with the Lord. And it helped me remember that all the other tragedies I've struggled with in the last two or three years, all of them have a purpose in God. So when we take communion today, it's to say the cross means everything to us. And we should survey that cross. Amen? Amen.